The Tumblers Willie podcast, episode eight, The Garden Party. Woo! Welcome back. Welcome back, Tumbleheads. Hey. I'm Andy Barbro, American television writer. I'm Andy Stanton, British children's author, and thank you so much for joining us once again as we continue our deep dive into the seminal British television show that has been running in one form or another since the very early days of the 20th century, Tumblr's Willy. And look, I know we're both particular fans of the era we're about to look at today, Andy, the 1980s. The 1980s, yeah, because going into the 80s, Tumblr's is really firing on all cylinders. They've they've had this dream team of writers for like the last five years. The cast has never been stronger. It's a show in complete control of its craft. Yeah, I think that's right. And, you know, there were so many major storylines coming to a head at this point. Uh, you know, these intertwining narratives that had been crafted with well, a watchmaker's precision, you'd have to say. Yes, yes. I mean, we've got Tumblr and Postmistress Millie, who had been dancing the will-they-won't-they tango (laughs) for the past three seasons. And that's set against the backdrop, of course, of the whole thing with the insects, you know, the the insects getting into the mill. The insect invasion, yes. How would it affect this burgeoning romance? Uh, It was knife-edge stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then the additional complication of the intrigue between Old Man Brassels and the rabbi. Right, right. You've got Hoffman in the mix, you know, this fiery German publican who'd just blown into town. Little Tommy Tribbles about to marry his third wife, but is it just for the money? Graham Nibwib discovering there's an ancient Celtic curse on his bicycle shop. Yeah, there's so many balls in play, really. Yeah, yeah. But uh, then, out of nowhere, hang on, in walks this new character, Mm. Helena Brooke Partridge. Helena Brooke Partridge. Right, right, who's apparently uh, some sort of uh, long-lost aristocratic cousin of Prentice. Uh, Prentice the stable boy, yes. That's right, right. And, uh, you know, who then utters this one very simple phrase, Let's have a garden party. Let's have a garden party. And hello, all those other plot lines are instantly thrown out the window. Let's have a garden party. These five seemingly innocuous words stopped every other story in its tracks and set Tumblr's Willie on an entirely different course, one from which, some would argue, it has never fully recovered. I don't know how it played for you, but when I first watched it, it really threw me because I then expected mm. the very next episode to be a party in a garden. Right, of course, of course. Uh, but but no, what she meant was, let's have a garden party at some point in the future. Yes, I, I think it threw a lot of people at the time as well. You know, it doesn't necessarily sound like something that's that difficult. Uh, yeah, because I mean, I, I couldn't believe mm. the attention to detail that they then started going into. Well, none of us could. None of us could. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking crazy. at the timeline here. <laughs> Uh, let's have a garden party. Uh-huh. Helena Brooke Partridge delivers that line at what the, the start of the 82 season, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, but we don't get to see the garden party itself until August 1989. So that's, let's see, six years, 114 episodes a year. Plus Christmas specials. Uh, yeah, just preparing for this garden party. Right, right. It's surprising the level of detail that they do start going into. Right, right. But like beyond forensic, I mean kind of a neurotic attention to detail because, you know, Mm. what's happening on screen is 
30 or 40 episodes of, you know, do you think we should get flowers for our garden party right, and, right. and that whole discussion? You know, and then do you think we have enough flowers for the garden party? Right. Where should we get the flowers from? Like, you know, one week they're saying, well, we should buy them from this shop down in St. Ives in Cornwall. And, uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the next week it's, oh, actually, we changed our minds. Let's order them from this place in Edinburgh instead. Another 10, 15 episodes of that whole discussion. Right, right. And, you know, even down to discussing specific addresses in these towns, it's just it, and it chops and changes week after week and then you know endless additional details as well uh, do you think we've got too many flowers let's get rid of some and then uh, you know <laughs> yeah ha- ha- now have we got rid of too many flowers i mean maybe we should get another 20 kilos of flowers right so that's one strand that's going on yeah here. yeah or, or, or should we have punch at our garden party and again exactly this whole the whole exact same thing again but with punch now it's bewildering Yeah, do you think we have too much punch? Should we (laughs) offload some of these kilos of punch in Huddersfield or or wherever? Exactly. I think, what was your word, Andy? Neurotic. Um, You know, these endless debates, should we have the punch flown in by air? Should the flowers arrive by sea? It starts getting silly. Right, right. Uh, Shall we hire musicians for the party? Where should they be from? (laughs) Argentinian musicians or Colombian ones? How many kilos of musicians shall we hire, Ah. for goodness sake? You know, and always kilos all of a sudden. Everything was kilos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what's the rate per kilo of musician? You know, they just went back and forth on so many things. It was compelling, but... It was compelling, but, you know, everything else has dropped away. You know, it's just... Yeah, yeah, it, it's just the whole show is now flowers, flowers and, and punch and, and punch, specific yeah. addresses in parts of the British Isles. These addresses, yeah, and it's terrific stuff, don't get me wrong. It's, yeah. But, you know, is it tumblers, you'd have to ask? Mm. Because, mm-hmm. you know, compelling though it might be, it's also, at the very same time, very, very, you know, it's it's really dreadfully thin material. Right, right. This, it could not be more mundane. No, it's, no. it's incredibly slow moving. The stakes are practically, I would say, non-existent. Yeah, I'd agree. And, you know, I think certainly by 1985, with no let up to these endless party preparations in sight, you know, I think some of the more astute viewers are starting to get wise, you know, they're starting to think, hello, there's more going on than meets the eye here. Yeah, yeah, this network of fans who were convinced that the show had actually, to some extent, been hijacked by a group with a very different agenda than just great storytelling. So once this idea has taken hold, this notion that something's rotten in the state of tumblers, you know, Mm-mm. once the fans knew what they were looking for, then there seemed to be clues everywhere. For, for instance, there was a school teacher named Marcus Riley. Right. Even though there was famously no school in the village in which tumblers were set. It's so it, mm. it, it's just off. You know, why does this teacher character suddenly materialize? Yeah, but but he did. He just showed up one day and started saying, uh, "Where's the cocaine drop going to be this weekend? Uh, let's let's shift to the cocaine. We have to move the cocaine." And mm-hmm. and this had, you know, cocaine had never been mentioned before on the show. So well, it seemed not. It seemed not to belong in that world at all. You know, uh, right, right, right. It, it right, was off. Right. I mean, there's a very very famous scene from 1986, if you remember, Andy, mm-hmm. where he's sweating mm-hmm. profusely. It, it's a close up, and uh, yeah, you know, there's one yeah. moment there where if you freeze that frame, and you know, Tumblr's fan have debated this off and on for years, you know, mm-hmm, but, um, you mm-hmm. know, where it does appear that you can see the barrel of a gun pointed at Marcus Riley's head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it sounds like someone off screen is mouthing mm. very quietly. It's, I mean, it's hard to tell, mm-hmm. but it sounds like, don't say cocaine. Right. Don't say, don't say cocaine. Say yeah. flowers. Say punch. Say flowers. Yeah. 
but we can't be sure. It, it could just be birdsong. It's hard to say for certain. Right, right. But it's so, you know, Andy, you and I have looked at the tape together many times. I, I still can't call it, you know. I mean, hmm. there are two freeze frames that I've studied probably for hours on end in my life. And, you know, one is the moment in Madonna's Papa Don't Preach video where, you know, does her breast come out of the top or not? And, uh, right, you know, that right. enthralled me as a teenager, actually, sure, just from a, sure, sure. a technical point of view, really. Cause it's, right, right, just the filmmaking of this. It's stunning stunning filmmaking it's knockout it's knockout and then uh, the other one is this moment with marcus riley as we say is there a gun there or not so yeah it seemed for those who were keeping track that there certainly was some sort of drug syndicate uh you know mm. that the show had mm. been taken over by a gang or a cartel of some description and yeah you know that tumblers willie was now under cover of this yep. well innocuous garden party storyline actually being used to orchestrate yes. the distribution and sale of Class A drugs around Britain. Yeah, ar around Britain and around Europe and around the world, really. Yeah, around yeah, around all of those places. Yes, yeah, simultaneously. Yeah, especially, I should say, the world. Yeah. Especially the world. Mm. Hmm. I mean, we should talk about Ronta Scrabs, who, mm. who was the show's director at the time. And a fantastic uh, one, let's not forget. Oh, oh, yeah, just a brilliant director. But was she in on it? Because there's a huge contingent of fans who remain adamant to this day that she was entirely innocent of any wrongdoing. Yeah, that she was genuinely trying to tell a six-year-long story about the planning of a garden party mm. and that she was completely unaware of any possible connection with the mafia. Yeah, the, the Welsh mafia, probably. Right, sorry, we should say uh, we now believe, all those fans who cry foul play at any rate, uh, yeah, they think it was the Welsh mafia who were behind it all. Yeah. Yeah, the Welsh mob, the, the Welsh boyos. Right, right. So where do we stand on that? I mean, for the sake of argument, let's say there was some funny business going on. Uh, was Scrabs, as director, complicit, do you think? Well, you know, entire books have been written. Mm. You know, was Scrabs in on it by Beasley Measley? Uh, Scrabs, did she or didn't she? Uh, parentheses, she didn't, by Tony Legg. Uh, Scrabs, Monster or Chimera, uh, a very damning tome, by the way, uh, written by uh, Felicity Nauf. And, you know, there's so many conflicting accounts, but in my opinion, mm. and this is just my opinion, but mm. Ronta Scrabs was as straight as the day is long. I mean, I, hmm. I, I know you see it a little differently. Well, I'm swayed by certain bits of evidence that, mm. that have come up. One her confession. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, we could talk about that. Uh, uh, well, her own book, uh, I Did It. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, she confesses to every detail of how mm. the crimes were carried out and mm. her part in that. And she provides the paperwork, mm. the times, the dates. She, she does. That's yeah, true. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pictorial evidence, which implicates her beyond all doubt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, things that only someone who's the head of a crime cartel like that could possibly know. So, mm, mm. Well, it is It is very convincing. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she makes a very strong case against herself. But I don't know. I'm not so sure. Mm. You're not convinced. I know. No. No, I'm not. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, yeah. I remain, I remain on the fence. So in any case, it's shortly after Marcus Riley drops the C word, cocaine, that the fans decide enough is enough and they elect to take matters into their own hands by tipping off the Metropolitan Police. Right. They took matters into their own hands by immediately delegating responsibility to someone else. And this is where the game begins in earnest because the Metropolitan Police, believe it or not, actually manage to plant a character of their own devising into the show itself. 
And so it comes to pass that on the 12th of December 1986, during yet another interminable discussion about canapes. Yeah, yeah, what types of canapes, the pureness of the canapes, how many kilos of canapes. How many kilos, right. And suddenly this new character comes in, enters stage right. Yeah, yeah. And this is how the world first meets Detective Jessica Kwong, a fictional TV detective called Detective Jessica Kwong, who in real life was actually Detective Jessica Kwong a fully qualified member of the Metropolitan Police Force. Yeah, they needed a way in, and Detective Jessica Kwong, as Detective Jessica Kwong, was it. Absolutely, and I think it's fair to say, Andy, that uh, Kwong's arrival did come as quite a nasty surprise to the other characters in the scene, to say the least. (laughs) Right, right. Well, no one was told. Uh, The actors didn't know. The writers weren't warned. Nobody at the BBC had, had any idea this was about to happen. But in the middle of a scene, in walks this woman they've never seen before, done up in the full Columbo. She's also sucking a lollipop. Um, She also has a mustache a la Hercule Poirot. Right, right, because the Metropolitan Police had gone a bit overboard with the character designer. Uh, Right. Well, the Met aren't professional writers by and large, so they they kind of overdid it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They ended up giving her a bit of everything, actually, just to be on the safe side. Uh, They gave her one trait borrowed from every fictional detective there had ever been. So they gave her... uh, Uh, Of course. Yeah, yeah. The the Colombo trench trench coat, coat. like we said, the lollipop. Right. She was in a wheelchair. She was blind. Uh, Her middle name was Miss Marple. Right, right. She also had some gadgetry at her disposal, uh, Mm, telescopic mm -hmm. arms and whatnot. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh, a Hawaiian shirt and helicopter, a deerstalker and pipe. Right, right. And then, of course, on top of all of that, she then also had to have a trait of her own. Yeah, to add to the canon. Yeah, yeah. Just to add to the gumbo. Right, right. And her trait, I mean, the one trait that really defined, you know, that was unique to Kwong's own character was that she wore or exhibited a trait from every fictional detective. So, of course, Mm -hmm. she then had to replicate her own trait. Yeah, that was her own thing. So she had to do two of everything. Exactly. She she had two wheelchairs. And all the rest of it. I mean, she was doubly bald. She had to suck constantly on two lollipops. It took, you know, it took a fair amount of coordination on her part and upper body strength. Oh, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. But, you know, she gamely wheels herself on. and uh, Yeah, in her two wheelchairs. In her two wheelchairs. And she just goes right up to old man Brassels, who's clearly, for the record, (laughs) astonished. And, you know, what she says is, my name is Detective Jessica Endeavour, Miss Marple, Clouseau, Quincy M.E. Kwong. And I've got a few, strictly to satisfy my own curiosity, you understand, questions about the punch. Yeah. 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 Immediately folded herself Mm. very cleverly into the garden party narrative. It's very arch. Mm. She's saying it really in implied quotation marks. Exactly right. Uh, Questions about the punch. You know, Mm -hmm. the other actors now have to frantically deal with this. You know, what's the what what seems to be the matter with the punch? You know, just yeah, yeah, just just scrambling scrambling. to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And then Kwong's comeback brilliantly quick. Well, I'm just a little worried. Purely as a citizen, you do understand, right, right. rather than in any professional capacity, yeah, yeah. that the sugar content of the punch may not meet current European guidelines. Yeah, wink, wink. Which seemed pregnant with meaning. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, everything that Kwong's character did and said on that show worked on at least, I would say, a thousand levels. Right, right. At least. A thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At one level, she's just an innocent detective with no particular agenda who's new to town and has a casual curiosity about this garden party. Absolutely. And at 999 other levels, this is, in fact, a real-life police investigation of a very serious ongoing crime situation. 
Well, the Metropolitan Police were determined to bust the case. I mean, they were they were incredibly focused. Well, they were dogged. They really well, they hated cocaine and crime, and you know they'd very much made it their mission to stamp these things out. Mm. Although there were there, there was a certain conflict of interest there as well, because you know they were also such fans of the show. They uh, they didn't want to just you know run in and arrest everyone. Uh, that was the last thing they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were very invested in this garden party. They they had spent years watching the planning of it, like everyone in Britain, and and you know they weren't going to let this decade end without that party. Well, they weren't going to move on this unless it was ironclad, you know. And then even then they said they might not. Right, right. You know, they said, you know, we're undecided. We're undecided. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll see how the party goes. You know, we're enjoying the show. Yeah. And now there's this fun new detective character we like. So, yeah, they love Jessica Kwong. I mean, she was really the breakout character for them. Yeah, they loved her. The, uh, Kwong tested very well among the Metropolitan Police. Fast forward. Dateline, early 1989. Detective Jessica Kwong has now been a series regular for more than two years. Up until this point, she's mostly confined herself to methodical information gathering. But now, suddenly, without warning, and immediately, she strikes. Oh my god, yeah, the stationery store. The stationery store, wow. Here it comes. Because, you know, she ad-libs this out of this world. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, she ad-libs this brilliant line... Leave it to me. I'll be the one, purely out of a sense of community spirit, to go and get the invitations printed. Right. This is it. This is the moment where she really seizes the reins and starts driving the narrative forward herself. And, you know, she leaves them no alternative. They they, they have to shoot this scene on the spot, you know. Yes, yes, yes. It's total panic stations. You, you can see the camera wobble, but the guy has, you know, the cameraman has no choice but to track her wheeling herself along the high street and into the stationers. Into the stationers, where she then proceeds to dictate the invitations, forcing this end game. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have the transcript here, but uh-huh. tumbleheads all have this memorized. Uh, Dear sir or madam, you are cordially invited to a garden party. And for the attention of Officer Pank of the Metropolitan Police, I have reason to believe that a large consignment of cocaine is about to land in a shipping container at the Liverpool docks on Friday. Right, right. So, look, on the one hand, it's all there in plain sight, isn't it? I mean, it's almost Mm, impossible mm. to miss this thing, this encoded message. Uh, You know, if that is, you're looking for it. Right, right. If you're looking for it. But of course, for the vast majority of viewers, they wouldn't have noticed anything amiss at all. It would have just gone right over their heads. Well, this is Kwong. You know, this is why she was so brilliant in the part. She knows exactly how far to push things uh, without breaking the fictional reality of the show. So, you know, she is able to send one message to the loyal viewers out there, you know. Yeah. Oh, how delightful. The invites for the garden party are going out at last. They're being dictated by that funny detective character I love. Exactly. And, you know, at the same time, quite another message to the guilty parties concerned. You know, this is electrifying television drama slash real life crime solving. Yeah, this is television drama slash real life crime solving like it should be done. Endgame. August the 18th, 1989. A rapt nation tunes in to Tumblr's Willie. Yeah. Settles back. Raptly settles back. And prepares to enjoy what they've been promised for so long. Because at last it's here, Andy. The Garden Party episode itself. 
Yeah, and, and look, what you have to remember is that the viewing public had no idea what was happening behind the scenes, most of them. From their point of view, they were simply gathered around the telly to watch a charming garden party. They had been promised a garden party. They wanted to see a garden party. A- exactly, exactly. And not just a garden party, but one that had been meticulously planned down to the finest detail. So this is a nation that is sitting down to experience the absolute freewheeling joy of watching something that promises exactly zero surprises. Zero surprises, exactly. Everything about the episode was basically known in advance. It was extremely predictable. It was extremely. It, it was inevitable. Inevitable is a, is a great word. Yeah. I, I mean, every last detail, the flowers. Right. The punch. The number of flowers, the amount of punch. The, the lattices. The, the chairs, the tent. The number of chairs, the number of tents. The, the little string quartet, yeah, who, you know, we've watched them rehearse for at least five years. We, we know that what they'll be playing. We know everything's been discussed again and again in the preceding episodes ad infinitum. The guest list had been gone over again and again. We knew each guest who was to arrive, by what car they would arrive, what they would be wearing. Likewise, the house. It could not be more known to us. Oh, it could not be more. In fact, most of the 87 season had concerned the building of the house brick by brick. Right, right. And the picking out of the furniture and trappings, the cladding in the walls, the underlays of the carpets even. Well, they had discussed every brick, every yeah, windowsill, yeah, yeah. weighed up every last interior decor choice in mind-boggling detail. We'd spent tens of hours of screen time watching the characters leafing through curtain sash catalogs. Right, right. You know, the viewers had seen so much of the planning. They really felt invested in this thing, you know, to the extent that a lot of them had actually... Yeah, yeah. Many of them had, had dressed up for the occasion. Right, right. In their Sunday best or actually purchased very expensive outfits to, you know, to, well, attend this event from the comfort of their own homes, it felt like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They didn't want to be underdressed for this party. Th- this was truly immersive TV. This was a brand new thing. This was a brand new thing. And yet, Andy, at the heart of it lurks something corrupt. Because like Satan, hiding in the Garden of Eden disguised as a delicious apple, something too was hiding at the very core of the garden party itself. Well, we now believe that everything was code. The, the, the reason everything had been discussed mm. and rediscussed, you know, thought and rethought over and over. Yeah, over and over. Yeah, we now think that this is the language that the Welsh Mafia, this had been their entire code all along. Right. The flowers had signified cocaine. The punch had signified also cocaine. Right. The weight of the flowers in kilos probably, we think, signified the weight of cocaine in kilos. Uh, The amount of punch also. Well, because, you know, why would you do it in kilos if it, Mm. you know, unless it was about cocaine, I think. Yeah. Well, we'd sat through just so many conversations that were just about the fluctuating weights of things. Right, right. Uh, The string quartet, we think now, was key. Uh, It's probably significant that we were told the Colombian cellist was, quote, making too much noise Mm. and needed to be replaced by a Bolivian. It just seems so transparent looking back on it now, you know. Well, yeah, in retrospect. But at the same time, audiences do love details. Yeah, yeah. You know, which is, I think that's how they were able to get away with it for so long. Well, it was brilliant. You know, the cladding. uh, Whenever characters talked about the cladding in an episode, they were actually providing the gang with information about border controls. Uh, The curtain sashes were another thing. Uh, Well, the curtain sashes have, we now understand that curtain sash dialogue was used to order grisly gangland hits on, on rival cartel members. Oh, Andy, stop it. So macabre. It it it, uh, it, ma- it makes it hard to enjoy any discussions of curtain sashes on television anymore. It makes it hard to enjoy discussions of curtain sashes full stop. I mean, look, for me, it's like, sure, go ahead, deal drugs, deal drugs. But 
to betray the viewers of Tumblr's Willy like this, you know. Uh, sure, yeah. It, it's yeah. sickening. It's sickening that the fans' innocence, their love of the show, was turned against them, was perverted like this. Because, look, it was the most blameless of storylines. It really was. But once mm. the truth came out, you know, you can't... No, I know, right. Like, how can you go back and rewatch those seasons once you know the filthy truth beneath them? The, the, mm, those, mm. These were not charming discussions about wallpaper. Right. I mean, when Graham Nibwib talked about contributing to the window cleaning fund. How much blood does the guy have on his hands there? You know, either as mm. the character or as the actor who portrayed him. Uh, oh, I, I feel sick. I feel disgusted. I think I'm going to be sick. Ugh. Oh, Jesus Ugh. Christ. I, I, again, Andy, I'd like to reiterate, I have no problem with anyone selling drugs at this level. I, you know, really, I don't. I couldn't be happier. But mm. just, I think, sure. do not do it via Tumblr's willy. Yeah, yeah. Keep tumblers out of it. I mean, I, I feel gross. I, I feel violated. I feel violated. Oh, my God. Uh, to, you know, to think Ugh. of the poor British public sitting there in complete trust, dressed to the nines, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. Innocent as, as, as very well-dressed baby lambs. Eagerly Ugh. awaiting this delightful soiree. And, you know, to think that they had no idea that what they're actually witnessing is the culmination of a very serious police investigation, you know, that they're about to witness Detective Jessica Kwong make her sting and bring the whole stinking house of lies and corruption down in flames. Oh, my God. Right, right. I, I feel ill. I feel queasy. You know, to think that they were utterly ignorant of the fact that the entire Metropolitan Police Force, all 21,000 of them, are hiding just off camera waiting for her to carry out this sting. You know, a sting the mm. likes of which had never before been seen in a medium in which it frankly should yeah. not even have been happening in the first place, Andy. I feel gross. Mm. I feel mm. yuck. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I, I feel, ugh. yeah, I feel, ugh. <sighs> So it starts, you know, the episode itself starts quietly. We see a solitary dog uh, sniffing around the flower beds. Yeah, a, a solitary dog. Yeah, yeah. We pan across and there's our string quartet right on cue. They strike up their first number as the guests make small talk and clink their glasses on the lawn. And then, just as Detective Kwong is about to strike and throw everything off script, everything is thrown off script mm. because suddenly our old friend Helena Brooke Partridge from six years previous, yes. who uh, of course had been the one to suggest the whole thing in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Let's have a garden party, remember. She now makes a sensationally timed return. She runs on and she says, oh, let's not have a garden party after all. Looks like rain. Yeah, yeah. It might rain. She, she looked up at the sky and said, looks like rain. Immediately, all the guests run. The string quartet runs. The dog runs. The cameraman runs. They, they, they all run. Kwong then wheels herself into shot, closely followed by all 21,000 members of the Metropolitan Police Force, shouts, I arrest you all in the... What? Where did everyone go? And... Cut to black. Shockingly... The entire episode had lasted just 12 seconds. In all the years of Tumblr's Willie, it was the shortest installment of the show ever to air. And people loved it. They loved it. I mean, look, they didn't get the garden party, Andy. Mm. We have to face that. But, uh, yeah. you know, they got something in a way even better. Yeah, yeah. Much worse. And, and because of that, much better, I think. Right. They got, well, again, when you think about what might have happened, you know, that they might have had to endure a fall from innocence. Oh, yeah. It's seeing, yeah, seeing Kwong and her goons taking down names, busting skulls. Yeah. Just 
really realizing to what vile depths their beloved show had fallen. Right, right. So this was an incredibly lucky escape because, look, the show's narrative reality has been preserved and, you know, preserved in a way that we never saw coming. They wanted a garden party. It was rained off. It was perfect. Yeah, yeah, it was perfect. This happens to garden parties all the time. It was authentic. It was relatable. Right. And as a story point, it was second to none. Uh, Well, well, this is so Tumblr's. I mean, mm -hmm. this show, which from the beginning had confounded expectations, And to the devoted viewers, this was Tumblr's greatest stunt yet, a six-year build-up to nothing. It was spectacular. It was spectacular, but, you know, what had actually transpired? If we look at the story behind the story, uh, what's the story? Right. Well, we now believe that Helena Brooke Partridge, real name Bennett Evan Jones, we now think that Evan Jones was almost certainly the head of the Welsh Mafia. Right, and that he'd got some wind of the sting at the last moment, or, you know, he knew something was up, so, you know, he chucks the dress on, and when he runs on and says, uh, well, let's not have a garden party after all, looks like rain, you know, that that was the signal. Yeah, yeah, that was the signal for them to immediately run out of the shot. Exactly. By the time Kwong and all 21,000 officers of the Met got there, uh, Mm. the entire cast and crew had fled the scene, and... You know, they were yards away. There was no way in hell to catch them and bring the perpetrators to justice. It was the perfect escape plan. They just ran away a couple of seconds before the law arrived. It's chilling, uh, you know, just how coordinated this gang was, Andy. But, uh, you know, a lot of money had gone into the investigation. It did threaten to leave the police with egg all over their face. So uh, Yeah, yeah. And they had to arrest someone for appearance's sake. And somewhat unfortunately, they, they settled on Detective Jessica Kwong. Yeah, they just arrested their own agent because, well, well, she was there. Yeah, yeah. She was present in a lot of those episodes. Uh, you know, she was always hanging around. And in the Metropolitan Police's defense, it is often the person you least suspect. So Yeah. And yeah, they had no grounds to suspect her. So uh, Yeah, so, so this was an open and shut case. Well, very much so. I mean, uh, they nabbed her and they deported her to America to teach her a lesson. Yeah, and whatever became of her, do we, do we know? Well, you don't hear from her. No, you don't hear from her. She, yeah, she she just... I mean, she keeps a low profile, I guess. She was... Uh, I mean, she did publish a book, I've just remembered. Ah, right, right, right. She So, so you do kind of hear from her, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, actually, she's very, very vocal on the circuit. She's, yes, uh, yeah. very yeah. popular and incredibly vocal. Um, She published a series of picture books for very young children, uh, detailing her time on the show and, you know, educating. She said it's, it's important to educate American children about yeah. my time as a detective in a television show for adults in a far-off country. Right, 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 right. I think was the way she thought about it. And uh, yeah, I believe she's doing very nicely for herself. Mm, so, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm glad it worked out for her. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, yeah. And that, that's really what went down. Uh, as for Ronta Scrabs, uh, the director of the entire Farago, uh, mm. you know, whether she was involved with the mob, uh, whether she did it like she thinks she did, uh, or, or whether she was completely unaware of the whole thing, as I believe to be the case, um, you know, it doesn't really matter because she, well, she's never been prosecuted. Mm. Yeah. Uh, But she has chosen to live in a prison. Uh, So I would say that, uh, you know, she's probably ended up with the best of all worlds, really. Mm. Yeah, right, right, right. She gets to live in a prison, but without the guilty verdict. So exactly, exactly. She gets to have her cake and eat it. Mm in prison mm. <laughs> so yeah. um yeah well done ronta well done ronta and i think in a way well done tumblers really for yeah, uh, yeah. you know if nothing else uh, mm. weathering the storm of whatever this was i mean yeah well done everybody for sure 
And well done you, our loyal army of listeners. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. We'll be back next time uh, to take a look at another fascinating era of this show. Yes, yes, to see how Tumblr's picks up the pieces and moves forward into the 90s. Absolutely. So do join us then. Thanks once again and see you next time, Tumbleheads. Bye. Podcast Network.